Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation webinar series. In this series, senior management of listed shipping companies provide an update on their operations, business development, strategy, and sector outlook. I'm Nicholas Bornois, president of Capital Link. Capital Link is an investor relations firm, also active in event and conference organization. We work with several public and private uh, shipping companies, including companies featured in this webinar series. We're actually working with D'Amico International Shipping as their investor relations advisor. As noted as, uh, in our disclaimer, these presentations are purely for informational and educational purposes. They do not constitute investment advice or advice of any kind, and Capital Inc. bears no responsibility for them. Today, we have with us uh, D'Amico International Shipping. We have with us uh, Mr. Carlos Balestra de Motola, the Chief Financial Officer. The whole session will take 45 minutes. Uh, we start with a slide presentation followed by a live Q&A. Uh, please submit your questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Uh, please include your name and company affiliation. And alternatively, you can email your questions to us at webinars at capitalink.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm turning over the floor to uh, Carlos. Thank you, Nicolas, uh, for inviting us to participate in this event. And good afternoon to everybody participating from Europe and uh, good morning to everyone participating from the Americas. Uh, I would guess it's quite safe to say there's no one participating from Asia. But uh, if there is someone, I, I hope uh, uh, we will be giving you uh, a rosier picture than, uh, uh, than uh, recently about the product tankers market and uh, we will be able to put you to sleep soon well. Um, so uh, proceeding into the presentation, uh, just a brief overview uh, of our fleet for those of us that don't know us that well. Uh, we are specialized in product tankers. Um, we control 37 vessels, uh, most of them owned or in bare boats. Um, the bareboat vessels for us are just alternative financing arrangements, um, and uh, and some of them are chartered in, mostly long-term chartered in, and one one short-term chartered in. Just over two-thirds of our fleet is MR, and then the rest uh, equally split between LR1s and Handy. Uh, we have a modern fleet, uh, 22 uh, new buildings ordered since 2012, and uh, that were delivered by the end of 19, um, mostly IMO class, um, and uh, we pride ourselves in the quality of our technical management, which allows us to employ our vessels with first-class counterparties, including the, the most demanding oil majors. Uh, in terms of CapEx commitments, um, as previously mentioned, we invested, we had an important investment program, program over the last few years to which we modernized our fleet, but uh, we are now much lighter in terms of investments, um, also in terms of maintenance capex. Uh, we are lighter going forward. Uh, um, no new buildings to be delivered over the course of the of the next few years, and only three million dollars in investments for maintenance capex in 2022, and just a bit more than that in 2020. 
three, around 3.9 million. Uh, in terms of debt repayments, uh, we are also much lighter. Um, we, we are glad to have refinanced all our debt maturing in 2022 uh, by the end of last year. Uh, the last uh, facility was drawn down in the beginning of this year. Uh, and so we now have a good runway. We are going to st start uh, soon working on the refinancing uh, the debt maturing in 2023, uh, which is quite a good amount, uh, $110 million almost in balloons uh, in that year. Uh, but thanks to our strong banking relationships, uh, we don't think that is going to be uh, an issue uh, and we hope to complete that uh, uh, this year. Um, uh, going forward, uh, our, we have a number of purchase options um, that we will be looking to exercise. These are the vessels that we have in a spare boat. Uh, we have uh, eight of these left. One of these options we already exercised, the one for the high priority. There are still eight which can be exercised. Um, they are all in the money today. Uh, and seven of them can already be exercised. One uh, can be exercised only from March 24. Uh, they are all uh, very flexible options, except maybe for the Cello de Houston, or, or for which we only have two exercise days. So the other ones can be exercised with 90 days notice at any time. Um, and uh, we will be looking to exercise these options at the right time as a way of uh, deleveraging our balance sheet, reducing our breakeven and making uh, the IS more competitive throughout, uh, throughout uh, the shipping cycles. Um, in terms of contract coverage, this is one of the pillars of our strategy. Um, we always want to have around 40 to 60% of our fleet covered uh, 12 months uh, forward. So the, the purchase options, uh, again, uh, seven of these can be already exercised out of the eight. Uh, going forward, the coverage, we always want to be covered between 40 and 60%, 12 months forward. Uh, we have 44% uh, coverage uh, now for Q421 which is, uh, 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 sorry, 44% coverage for Q1-22, which, which is a good figure, um, given the markets um, are not particularly strong still right now. Um, it's good we ended the year um, uh, with a strong market, we have a much stronger market. We finally saw some effects of the winter market and we had a strong uh, December. Uh, but uh, the markets uh, have uh, slightly weakened since. So we are glad that we have this coverage for the Q1-22 at, uh, at the rate which is around uh, our break-even. Uh, for Q2-22, the, the coverage goes down slightly, uh, but the average rate of the coverage increases. And so for the whole year, we are covered at 27% at the rate which is uh, slightly above uh, our break-even. And the good thing is we are quite exposed to the spot market in the second half of the year and in 2023. So um, hopefully that will work out well because the market will 
uh, start uh, improving. Um, uh, we are quite confident in the second half of the year and especially in Q4. And then we, we are looking at quite a strong 2023. Uh, the percentage of our fleet, which is ECHO, has been rising. So, and this is expected to continue. This trend is expected to continue going forward. Um, this, well, our fleet has been falling slightly um, as we have had to sell some of our vessels to shore up liquidity and to strengthen our balance sheet. Uh, nonetheless, our spot exposure um, does increase over the course of the next two years. Um, and therefore, we will uh, reap uh, big benefits from a stronger market, which we expect in the second half of 22 and in 2023. We also have worked uh, a lot on the cost side. Um, we reduced uh, our, uh, we have worked and achieved some quite good results on, the, on our daily operating costs, uh, which have de declined substantially since 18. And uh, on the GNA front also, we achieved some important savings. Um, and we will uh, look uh, to, to keep our fleet cost competitive going forward. In terms of uh, balance sheet uh, strength and liquidity position, we ended uh, the nine months period of 2021 with uh, 42 million in cash and cash equivalents and a ratio of net financial position to fleet market value of around 60%, 60.9%. Uh, through the sales of the high venture and the high valor in the, the last quarter of this year and in uh, January this year, in January 2022, uh, we have further increased our liquidity uh, and strengthened our balance sheet. So uh, we, we, have, we are in a quite a comfortable pos position to, to face a temporary weak markets. Um, and if, uh, if that were to, to be the case. Uh, going forward, uh, uh, the asset values have started moving up, especially new building prices, but uh, five-year-old vessel prices and 10-year-old vessel prices are still well below um, their peaks. And so there's substantial upside there for us to capture. Um, Quick overview of what is happening on the um, COVID-19 front uh, and the Omicron variant in particular. Uh, here we have some statistics relating to the UK uh, where we compare the, the current uh, wave of uh, cases to uh, the, 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 that which occurred in the beginning of 2021. Um, uh, as a percentage of those cases. And we see that uh, the, the, the number of cases uh, uh, rose dramatically towards the end of 2021, uh, but the, the, there's also already an ongoing quite steep descent. Uh, the, the, the contagions uh, spread so fast that uh, it is likely that uh, there is already some herd immunity effect um, happening uh, in, the, in some parts of the UK, uh, which is uh, contributing to this uh, decrease in cases. And of course, the statistics relating to the, um, the 
patients and and uh, and the deaths are much more favorable uh, than they were in the beginning uh, of 2021, um, despite the much higher number of cases. Uh, and that is most likely because of uh, the, the variant is uh, uh, less lethal, uh, but of course also because of the uh, widespread vaccination of the population in the UK. So I, I think this is overall very good news. Uh, most countries in Europe are a few weeks behind the UK in terms of contagions uh, for the Omicron variant. We are starting to seeing in some countries a plateauing of the, of the number of cases. And so hopefully we will have a, a more positive dynamic going forward also in these other countries, uh, which means that by the spring of this year, uh, um, we will have a most likely a much more favorable uh, situation for, uh, for travel in particular which is an important component of the demand for refined products. So um, uh, moving on, uh, here is just a, a quick overview of the uh, demand picture. Um, uh, as we know well, I mean, the COVID-19 outbreak led to a, a very dramatic decrease in demand uh, for, for oil um, of 8.7 million barrels. Uh, but a good part of that was already recouped uh, in the course of 2021, where demand increased by 5.5 million barrels, and another 3.3 million barrels increase is expected uh, this year. Uh, so we should end the year with uh, overall demand, which is higher than we had pre-COVID. Uh, this is according to the latest uh, forecasts of the EIA released yesterday. So they are uh, quite bullish about the oil demand picture. In terms of uh, refinery runs, uh, also uh, uh, the recovery is ongoing and there's an acceleration forecasted for next year. Refinery runs increased by by less than, the, than the, the increase in demand, but they rose by 3.2 million barrels per day in 2021. And they are forecast to rise by 3.7 million barrels in 2022, uh, which would mean that the average uh, refining throughput uh, this year would be slightly below that in 2019, but possibly ending the year at the higher level than, uh, than uh, we had at the end of 2019. Um, so that bodes very well for the refined products market. Another interesting um, um, aspect uh, and statistic that came out from their report is that they say that it is possible uh, that the supply of oil might increase by as much as 6.2 million barrels um, next year. Of course, the, the biggest contributor would be the unwinding of the OPEC cuts. We are seeing that, the, uh, unfortunately, there is uh, some uh, underperformance in the uh, output increases relative to what is the agreed uh, output increases because some countries are having uh, difficulties uh, ramping up production. Uh, but uh, it is possible that other countries might be able to step in to compensate the underperformance of, the, of such countries. 
And in addition, uh, there are a number of non-OPEC countries, uh, the United States, Canada, and Brazil in particular, which are going to be producing record amounts of oil, uh, most likely in 2022. And of course, they have strong, strong incentives to do so given the very high oil prices that we are experiencing currently. Uh, if this were to happen, it is likely that we might go into a market which is actually slightly oversupplied with oil. So after having a market which was greatly undersupplied uh, during the course of uh, the whole of 2021, uh, this uh, might turn in 2022. Uh, of course, there are lots of question marks here and OPEC uh, plus have shown that they are very disciplined in managing their production to achieve their price objectives. So it is likely that if uh, um, non-OPEC countries were to increase production more aggressively than they initially anticipated, they might decide to instead bring less oil to the market to rebalance the market. But the, the inventory picture is very favorable we, the, if you look at the industry refined product stocks, we are well below uh, the five-year average and well below where we were uh, at the onset of the COVID-19 outbreak. So there is room to rebuild inventories. Um, um, and uh, uh, it might be possible that the OPEC uh, of plus countries might uh, allow this to occur uh, to shore up uh, inventories to more normalized uh, levels. Um, and if we do see an oversupply of oil at some point uh, in the course of 2022, it is not unthinkable that the forward price curve uh, for the crude oil might switch uh, from backwardation. Uh, it's currently actually in a very steep backwardation to contango which would be very positive for the tankers in, generally, in general. Um, looking at the, some snapshots of what is happening with demand, uh, it is quite comforting to see uh, that uh, um, vehicles are, uh, are moving uh, very much so and more than they were pre-COVID in, uh, in many regions of the world and uh, trucks in particular uh, have been uh, miles driven by trucks uh, are well above uh, pre-COVID levels, but also if you look at all vehicles, we are pretty much already back where we were um, prior to the COVID outbreak in the US uh, and in Southern Europe. And instead in uh, uh, South and Central America, we are actually above those levels. So. The, and this is a trend that is uh, probably going to, to continue also because people uh, are seeking to avoid public transportation and so are using uh, their cars more often. Uh, in terms of jet fuel demand, uh, we, we are also seeing a recovery. Of course, this is the big laggard in terms of refined products. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, it was probably the, the product where uh, the sharpest increase in demand was expected. Um, uh, it is uh, widely expected that uh, um, uh, travel related to business might be a bit subdued going forward, especially international business, but there, that there is going to be a recovery eventually. 
but uh, but leisure travel for domestic and international instead is, is forecasted to recover quite fast. And I personally believe that by the, we could be very positively surprised already uh, in this summer in the Northern hemisphere because of the dynamics that we are experiencing today with Omicron and the possibility of getting to some sort of herd immunity plus widespread vaccination, meaning that uh, we will have a uh, much more mobility and also desire to travel by, by individuals after uh, being restrained in their movements for, for a very long period. Um, um, yeah, this, uh, this is just a longer term picture. Over the next few years, we are going to be seeing uh, very fast growth in uh, refined products demand, a uh, cargo of almost 8%. Um, uh, COVID also led to quite an important change in the refinery landscape. Um, we, we saw that uh, the, it accelerated uh, a process which was ongoing. Uh, the, 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 there, were, there were a lot of new refineries being built in the Middle East um, and Asia, uh, but the, the very difficult environment uh, for the refineries created by the pandemic meant that a lot of closures which might have taken years to occur uh, occurred in a much faster uh, and uh, therefore um, and the, the capacity closures conversions announced in um, last year amounted to 1.9 million barrels per day with an additional 0.6 million barrels per day uh, which is currently under assessment. Most of these refinery closures were uh, in the US, 40%, but also in Europe, uh, 11% and 15% in Australia, New Zealand, which is very good for the ton miles of our vessels because, of course, um, uh, it is uh, a region which is uh, quite distant from most refineries. And so uh, it contributes, uh, it's a very positive contributor to ton miles transportation to, to, to Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we are also seeing uh, a comeback, a slow comeback, but nonetheless a comeback of the U.S. shale oil. Um, it suffered greatly with COVID, um, but uh, and uh, there was uh, a change in dynamic, especially for the listed companies that uh, are now prioritizing distribution of cash to, to shareholders. But the, the private companies are picking up the, the baton. And uh, if you look at the rigs owned now, 50% are now owned by private companies uh, relative to 30% pre-COVID. Uh, and they are reinvesting much more of their cash to increase production and benefit from this very high oil price environment. So, Rigs have been uh, cre creeping up uh, slowly, but surely they, they passed the 600 mark uh, recently. And the uh, EAP CapEx um, is expected to rise by 19% in the US in 2022. So hopefully this will drive also more exports of uh, US oil um, to Asia on very long distances, and it will help our cousins in uh, which uh, 
transport uh, crude oil uh, and whose uh, fortunes are are linked to ours because unfortunately when their markets are not doing well they they do tend to transport also clean products especially on their maiden voyages when they are delivered from yards so um, we are quite happy if they do better um, and uh, that should then flow through also to the ref uh, refined product tanker segment um, on the supply side the picture is very very promising um, um, we have uh, very high steel prices, which of course uh, uh, is uh, spurring demolition. And we have seen a strong uptick in demolition in the last half of last year. And uh, we, um, uh, we the, the new regulations which are going to be coming into force, the uh, carbon intensity indicator and the energy uh, efficiency existing ship index um, are also uh, going to contribute to make uh, all the vessels less competitive. And in particular, the European emissions trading scheme is going to play a big role in that, um, especially because the, the price of these uh, allowances, which will have to be bought from 2023, has been rising. And so that will uh, uh, be uh, penalize greatly the, the more polluting older vessels, which are then uh, likely to, to be demolished earlier. Um, there is also, of course, a strong push by charters um, to, to charter um, cleaner vessels. There, there's a move towards transparency and communication of the emissions of the, of the vessels they charter. And so they will have a preference for, for chartering younger vessels. And of course, also the banks uh, are increasingly, especially the leading banks, which provide the most competitive uh, price financing, are increasingly preferring to, to finance uh, younger tonnage. And they have signed up to these Poseidon principles to which they commit to reduce the CO2 footprint of the vessels that they, they finance. Uh, the fleet is getting older and it's getting older fast. Uh, uh, the, the percentage of vessels which are more than 15 years of age has been rising quite fast over the last few years. But you see there's a kink uh, in this uh, yellow curve in 2021 and the speed uh, at which these vessels uh, uh, get older increases. So a lot of the vessels which were built between 2003 and 2008 uh, are turning 15 and 20 years old over the course of the next two years. So this really increases the pool of demolition candidates. And for the reasons we already mentioned, there are strong incentives to going forward to demolish all the vessels, especially if markets are not strong. And uh, here again, as I was previously mentioned, we see that uh, from Q1 to Q3 last year, we saw a surge in the, the number of vessels demolished. Uh, Q4 was also quite strong. Uh, and so there were as an average of 16 vessels demolished uh, MRs and LR1s in the last three quarters of 2021. If you look at the number of vessels which are planned to be delivered in 2022 uh, in these segments, it's, uh, it's less than that. So it's uh, 15 in Q2, then 11, and then 15 again. So it is possible that we might experience a fleet contraction in the last uh, nine months of 2022, if demolitions continue at the, at the same pace as they, 
as they, as they were happening in the end of last year. Of course, uh, if the markets were to start recovering as we expect in the second part of 2022, uh, this would slow down demolitions most likely, but then uh, they would slow down demolitions for a good reason. So that wouldn't be a source of concern. It's also good to, to see that the number of vessels ordered has been decreasing. And uh, that is also not surprising because uh, demolition, uh, sorry, new building prices have increased quite sharply. Uh, today, a uh, new building uh, delivered uh, delivered vessel costs, MR costs around $42 million. Um, and when we ordered our vessels uh, between 2012 and 2014, um, same type of vessel would have costs delivered between uh, 32 and uh, $34 million. So th that is a very significant increase in new building prices. Um, uh, secondhand vessel prices are still at uh, an important discount to new building prices. Even the eco vessels, five-year-old vessels are eco vessels. They are at an important discount to the new building prices. So we don't see um, um, a flurry of new building orders arriving anytime soon. It will be rather um, illogical uh, of ship owners to go and order vessels. Now they, they, they are much better off buying secondhand vessels. Um, and, uh, and therefore, we, we expect the slowdown in the fleet growth to continue. Uh, very slow, limited growth in 2022 and potentially even less in 2023. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, this is the uh, this is it uh, in terms of the presentation, and I'll pass it over to you for the, the Q&A. Okay, I see here that there are quite a lot of questions that came in. Okay, I'll pick one here. Okay, the first one is, uh, by when do you expect freight rates to become profitable. Okay, well, <laughs> I wish uh, we, we had a crystal ball. I mean, it, uh, it, it, this is a difficult question, but, uh, but we are quite confident this should happen in the second half of this year. And uh, at, the latest, at the latest by Q4. But I'm, I'm also hopeful that we will have a strong summer. I was mentioning, uh, just now, and that we could be positively surprised by, by freight rates um, already this summer. And it, it's a very good sign that uh, we ended 2021 on a high note um, with our vessels, uh, uh, although not for a long period, but at least in the month of December, achieving uh, some quite attractive uh, uh, fixtures. Uh, okay, another question here. You have a much more prudent contract coverage policy than your peers. Aren't you concerned that this might penalize you in a recovering market? Um, good question. This is not the first time we are asked this. Uh, there were a lot, a lot of similar questions uh, being asked to us in uh, at the end of 2019, uh, as we were moving into a very strong market. Uh, and um, our view here is that um, 
we our renewals of our time charter contracts are always staggered. So it is true that we might miss out a bit uh, for some months if there is a very strong and uh, recovery, uh, strong and fast recovery. Uh, but most likely, you know, as uh, these time charters uh, terminate, we are, we are going to be able to renew them at higher rates and capture most of the upside of a recovering market. And as I mentioned uh, previously, we are still very exposed to the spot market in 2022 and uh, in the second half of 2022 and 2023. I mean, our coverage for 2023 is only 5% of our available vessel days. So um, we, we can do very, very well in a, in a much stronger market that we anticipate for 2022 and for the last part of uh, 2023 and for the last part of 2022. Um, another question came in here. Why should we invest in DIS? If there are many other companies which are larger and whose shares are more liquid than yours? Yeah. Okay, this is also a question that we get quite often. Um, and uh, I would say we are different than most other product tanker companies which are, which are listed. Um, and so that is probably what makes us attractive. Um, the D'Amico International Shipping is controlled by the D'Amico Group. The D'Amico Group has been in shipping for, for decades, uh, since the 30s and the current holding company was established in uh, 1952. So I would say that they know what they are doing and they have shown that they are resilient and that they can navigate different cycles and, uh, and do well through different cycles. So, and uh, I think that uh, that is already a very good reason to, to trust uh, the, the D'Amico's family management of D'Amico International Shipping. But I would say also the fact that the, the family has so much of its own capital invested in the listed company is a, is a, is a very positive sign as, and it's a sign of alignment of interest because they, they have a very strong incentive that the company does well. And there are studies out there that show that family-run companies do, uh, in some sectors at least, they do tend to perform better because they can think longer term. And, uh, and, uh, and so they can make the sacrifices which are needed uh, short term to achieve the long-term results and not care too much about the, the next quarter only. And so uh, I think that uh, that is a very good reason to, to buy our shares relative to, to maybe other product tanker companies, which maybe have other strengths, but this is definitely one, one good reason to buy our share. And I, I, I would say that the quality of our technical management is also widely recognized by the, by the industry players, by the, by the charters. And this allows, provides to us uh, some quite unique employment opportunities. Uh, we recently, for example, uh, Berbo chartered out uh, one vessel for on a very long and very profitable uh, contract for, for five years, but keeping the technical management. And we do have, uh, we, and we have had in the past uh, uh, very long contracts and profitable contracts 
uh, with uh, companies like uh, uh, Total and Exxon, which are very demanding charters. So uh, I think especially in the well, given the very strong push towards uh, decarbonization, which uh, which touches us, but touches also our charters, having a, a strong and a long-standing relationship with these players is going to be very viable asset that we are going to be able to benefit from uh, to uh, find together the right projects for uh, the future investments for this. So I think this is definitely one of our strengths. Um, uh, and then I already touched upon this. I think that you know we have a different uh, uh, strategy in terms of employment. We do fix more of our vessels through fixed rate contracts. Uh, this means that we, uh, this reduces the volatility of our earnings and it has proven a successful strategy over the, over the last few years. And I think it will continue being a successful strategy even in a going to a strong market. We, we are avoiding very long-term contacts uh, unless they are you know, very unique opportunities as the one I mentioned on the, on the five-year variable charter contract. Uh, but um, so we are fixing mostly one-year contracts now and uh, keeping the exposure to 2023 uh, that we are uh, very uh, positive about. And uh, finally, I think that we have also a very good reputation with our uh, the capital providers, especially the, the, the debt providers, the banks, and uh, the providers of leasing capital. And we have benefited from that in the past, especially in Japan, we have a very good name and uh, that allowed us to close some very attractive, attractively priced uh, sale spec transactions from 2017 to 2019. Um, so that, that is, of course, also another strength of the company. Um, so yeah, here there's another question. What do you plan to do to reduce your NAV discount? Okay, this is another one, another question that we get quite often. Um, yes, it is true that uh, at the end of September, our shares were trading at a very wide discount to NAV of uh, just over 50%. Not the first time that's happened. They, they have often traded to a discount, at a discount to NAV, maybe not as wide as uh, 50%. But it's also true that in the past, uh, we have traded at a premium to NAV. And uh, um, uh, the, the, the discount do, does tend to narrow as soon as the market turns and the company starts generating profit. So I think this will, uh, happen also in this case. Um, and uh, um, one of our priorities will, uh, of course, be to continue to deleverage our balance sheet. We want to make the company uh, competitive throughout market cycles. Uh, I mentioned previously that there are these uh, purchase options that can be exercised and that we will, uh, and uh, on, on these variable deals that we did uh, and that we will be able to replace with traditional bank debt. And we are looking forward to, to doing so as soon as we start uh, generating profits and we see the market moving in the right direction. Um, after we have done so, 
you know, there's also the possibility to pursue share buybacks. Um, our shareholders uh, and our board approved a share buyback program, which is quite substantial the last year, which uh, allows us to buy back 15% of our issued shares, um, including the treasury shares we already have, which represent around 1.5% of our issued shares. So there's a significant amount of shares that we can still buy back. And so when we start generating the, the required liquidity, we will be looking to, to do that. And we will also be looking to, to distribute dividends eventually, of course. And uh, last but not least, uh, we will uh, be monitoring uh, the market constantly to find the right opportunities for new investments. Uh, given the current uh, new building prices, we, we don't think now is the right moment to commit to, to new investments, especially not new, new constructions. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of uncertainty regarding the technological developments to, to meet the ambitious, ambitious uh, CO2 reduction targets, uh, which the industry will face over the course of the next few years. Uh, and so we will uh, wait a bit for the uh, clouds to clear in that respect before we commit to new investments. But I'm sure we will also thanks to the partnerships, close partnerships I mentioned before with some uh, with our charters, we will find the right projects. Uh, and I expect them to be actually very attractive for projects um, going forward. Um, and uh, well, I have an, one last question here. We don't have much time left. Uh, it's quite similar to the previous question, but uh, maybe a slightly different. How do you plan to generate value for, for your shareholders? Well, I, I would say the, the initiatives I, I just mentioned will, will all contribute to generating value. But uh, in addition, we, we are looking very much at uh, investing in technology uh, in making our fleet as efficient as possible. Uh, we, uh, we have already a very modern fleet, as I mentioned, because we invested over $750 million in, in buying um, uh, echo vessels over the last few years. Uh, but um, going forward, we also plan to install propeller Bosca fins on some of our vessels, uh, fuel injection valves. Um, we are looking also at the possibility of applying low friction paint um, uh, to, to, to improve the hydrodynamics of our, of our hulls. Um, and we are looking also uh, at investing in uh, technology which will uh, called EcoTorque, which regulates the, the engine power to increase its efficiency and reduce fuel consumption. Uh, we have a, a fleet performance management department, um, which is also looking at uh, hull performance monitoring and uh, the right time to, to clean our hulls. Uh, to um, reduce the, the drag uh, from fouling, but also, of course, without, uh, without damaging the paint. Uh, and we have also have been testing biofuels on our vessels. 
uh, and uh, all our LR1s are approved now to, to burn biofuels. So these are just some of the initiatives that we are, we are uh, uh, taking to, to improve the efficiency of our vessel. And we, we expect this to be an area where we uh, of focus going forward, where we plan to invest quite a lot of resources um, uh, over, the next, over the next few years. Um, yeah, the, basically, I think that we ran out of time. Yeah, so I think that that is it. Um, Carlos, thank you for uh, an excellent presentation and uh, you had a lot of questions. So uh, thank you very much for sharing your insight on uh, D'Amico, international shipping and the product tanker market. Um, so this thank presentation, you, well, of course, thank you. This presentation uh, will be available for replay. Uh, so investors can come and access it uh, upon demand. So thank you very much, Carlos, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. And I, I hope we will be able to meet in person uh, on March 28th when we have our uh, New York forum. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. The same. Hope to meet you soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.